0: My name is Whitney Lee Morris, and welcome to The Better Buy.
1: Welcome to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm your host, Melanie Berlier. Each week, we talk to experts about the highs and lows of home ownership and share stories, advice, and practical tips you can actually put to work in your own space. In this episode, I'm speaking with Whitney Lee Morris, the sustainably-minded designer, consultant, stylist, creative director, and author of Small Space Style. A firm believer that you don't need to live large to live beautifully, Morris's mission is to help others live comfortably and contentedly with a smaller footprint, and to embolden a collective shift away from hyper-consumerism towards greener living. Thank you so much for being here today, Whitney. We're so excited to talk all about sustainability and small space living. It's been said that you live luxuriously inside a 900-square-foot cottage with your husband, two young children, two rescue beagles. Tell me what living luxuriously means to you.
0: For me, living luxuriously in a small space really just means being able to live comfortably and contentedly. You know, the square footage doesn't really matter. And this house is twice the size of our previous home, so it's just positively palatial for us.
1: So you never feel cramped?
0: We don't feel cramped. I mean, I'm sure there will be times, and that's okay. Life is filled with all sorts of things, but right now we can put our arms out and swirl around. We have so much space.
1: And you've said that nearly every space in your cottage is charged with multitasking. Can you give the audience some examples of adaptability and versatility inside the home that they can mirror?
0: Yeah, absolutely, because I think that regardless of square footage, having a versatile home is really key. And we all obviously learned that during COVID, right? When we're all stuck in our homes, we learned that versatility is key. So when designing this small space, we took notes on all of our previous living experiences and realized what weight we needed each space to pull. So an example would be that we designed our bathroom to also be our laundry room. And it also is where we water the plants and feed the dogs and a myriad of other things. And similarly, our living room is my full-time office. It is a home learning space for the kids when they're at home and a guest room at the same time. And our dining room is our entryway, drop zone. So, you know, I think that as long as something is designed accordingly, a space can really multitask in a myriad of ways. It just takes a bit of creativity and patience to come up with it.
1: That makes sense. And in a small space, the details really matter. More than in a regular sized space. Can you speak a bit about that?
0: Yeah, like in a small space, depending on your storage situation, you see everything from every angle, right? I mean, if there's something out in the living room, you're going to see it from the kitchen, you're going to see it from the bedroom, you're going to see it from somewhere unless the door is closed. So details really do matter because your eyeballs are going to be on them constantly. It really just depends on your aesthetic and your lifestyle, how you want to decorate your home, but it's definitely. To be decorated and designed with intention.
1: Mm-hmm. And what would you say is the most important detail to elevate the kitchen? Are there certain things you should select more mindfully when you're living with a small kitchen rather than a larger one?
0: Well, you know, I think it's adaptability, versatility, but I think that little tricks help. Does something collapse? Do things nest? Can they be hung up? Do they fold? Can they serve multiple purposes? So, you know, designing with storage in mind, designing with utility in mind, designing with aesthetics in mind, and hopefully designing with sustainability in mind.
1: Mm -hmm. And there are pretty sponges out there, right? There are so many great
0: sponges. (laughs) Washable, reusable sponges. You never have to buy another sponge again.
1: Right. And you have some great advice for organizing cleaning supplies. Can you share that with us? When it comes to organizing cleaning supplies or anything for that matter, if you're
0: Selecting the items that are coming into your home with intention, then perhaps you won't be put off by seeing them, right? So for me personally, I like to store cleaning supplies right in open view because they're not these terrifying for me, at least bright plastic purple things that I have to look at. No, 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 no. Everything that we have brought into our home, we've brought in mindfully. And that was a thing that we learned over time. That's a practice we honed. And it's because we know that things are going to be in plain view if we're going to fit them in the house. Right. It's also a necessity. You've got two young kids. I've got two beagles. One is a senior. You know, the house gets messy and I don't want to have to be digging through closets to try to find something. I want them within arm's reach. And if they're going to be within arm's reach and saving space that way, then I'd like them to be aesthetically pleasing as well. And luckily, lots of the things that are aesthetically pleasing are also better for the environment.
1: mm. That's true. And that same principle applies to your choices when it comes to wall decor, right? You're sort of always leaning into function and form. Yeah. And only selecting things that can serve multiple purposes. Well, yes and
0: no. I mean, that's what I like to do. But I mean, I believe in art for art's sake. There's nothing more beautiful in the world. So for folks who just want to decorate with art just because it's beautiful, I'm like, go for it, go for it. But for us, we try to marry the two things, right? For example, Above my desk, I have a textile that is decorative, but it's also functional because we live in a small space and it's raised off the ground and sound carries. And so having this large textile on the wall not only provides this really aesthetic burst that we love, but it also is a bit of soundproofing, you know, and a bit of a solid layer on top of a pocket door wall. So I try to do both things. I really try to use wall space as art and use it functionally.
1: What are some tips for approaching home decor in an eco-friendly way, no matter what size your home is? I think we have a lot of people who are probably in regular sized homes who are interested in being more eco-friendly and mindful of how they're using their space.
0: Absolutely. The first thing is don't throw something out just because it's plastic, then go buy something made of bamboo because you're just quickening the end of that life cycle, especially with the rise of social media being what it is. Sometimes I think that people want to kind of show off their eco-friendly wares, and in doing so, they unfortunately get rid of things that are already within their home that might be plastic or just not so well-designed, and they want to throw those things out. And that is like the least sustainable thing you could do, right? If you've got it, use it, and use it until the wheels fall off, use it until the cows come home, and then at that point, think about the end of that product life cycle and where it should go. And then, when you're introducing something new into your home, make sure it checks off all the things on your list. Do you like the way it looks? Does it function well? Does it serve multiple purposes? Do you have a place for it? If not, how are you going to find a place for it? Where are you going to store it? Make sure that it checks off the things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. My friend Shivanda says designing a home is a marathon, not a sprint. And I totally agree with her. We can't just transform our homes overnight, nor should we. Our tastes change our lives evolve. Things take time. So, You know, I think that for people, regardless of their square footage, who want to bring more eco-friendly and versatile things into their home, you do it gradually as the need arises.
1: I love that point about not just discarding items, even if they're plastic, because I've seen all of these short form videos on social media of people very deliberately throwing out their cases of plastic straws. And my reaction is always, oh, my gosh, but you didn't use them. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's the worst. It is the worst. (laughs) Like maybe use the things rather than just contributing to the landfill. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's not just with
0: our everyday purchases, but that comes into play with house design too. People kind of wanting to project a certain thing and their intentions are good, but going about it in a way that just is creating more waste and more problems. We can't solve everything with money. Right. Buying something new and throwing out something old is not the way to do it. If you're trying to be more sustainable, I think it really starts with not only what you're bringing into your home, but what you're taking out of your home. There is no way when we throw things away. There is no way. This is our one shared home. It is going in a landfill. It is going in the ocean. So think about the whole life cycle of a product. And if you actually stop and do that, it really will dictate a lot of your actions. You won't have a lot of questions.
1: I won't forget that. There is no way when you're throwing something away.
0: Mm -mm, mm -mm. It's everyone's backyard.
1: What are some of the most eco-friendly building materials?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I want to be careful about that because I am not a builder. Tons of construction waste end up in landfills every year in America. It's something staggering. It's staggering. And so there are a myriad of eco-friendlier materials, how they're sourced, the distances that they have to travel, how they're packaged. There's so many considerations. But I also think we can look to using up materials that are already out there and already in our region so just like we were talking about with home products that people are throwing out something that's perfectly good in order to use something that is quote-unquote eco-friendly perhaps this certain kind of siding for your house is great but perhaps there's something that's already sitting around that's discarded from another project that you can use up and so I want to be really careful when speaking to sustainable materials because I think sustainability has become a punch word, but there's just so much that's involved Behind that, there's so much more to think about than just how the product is marketed, because marketing can be confusing.
1: Yes, it really can. And I love this notion of sort of shopping secondhand when it comes to building supplies. I know there are some clothing companies out there that use surplus materials from larger fashion houses, and I love that. But I had no idea that that existed in the space of building materials. Do you have advice on how people can find surplus supplies? Do you go directly to builders? What's the process?
0: I mean, I think it's twofold. So if you like to go to salvage yards and really get your hands wet and really figure something out on your own, then that's a great way to approach it is really just sourcing secondhand markets near you and resources near you. But yeah, I mean, I do feel like general contractors, builders, they have access to a myriad of supplies and vendors who maybe have surplus something that's damaged. It all boils down to good communication, I think. So if you're communicating with your builder or your construction team and saying that you are really trying to be eco-friendlier in your build process and really articulate that, whole world of resources will open up that you didn't know existed. And I think that it's really helpful to to talk to your team because right now I'm in the southeast. Say something is left over from a project in Washington state. Like, that's awesome. I hope someone in Washington state can use it. But maybe I need to find something closer to me in order to really make that a friendlier building material for me to use. And I think that if you're working with a GC or any kind of builder, they're going to have access to things in a way that you might not or the everyday person might not, you know.
1: So smart. So it's not necessarily about what the material is and more about where it is sourced from and if it's previously existing or not.
0: It's a combination of both. Just like going for that wooden spoon instead of the plastic one. Is there an option that's, you know, at your secondhand store that you can grab that's maybe in between? In an ideal world, it would be both things, right? We would be sourcing locally. We would be sourcing something that's already used that was made with the whole product lifecycle in mind. But unfortunately, it's very hard to check off all those boxes. So I think if we can check off some of them, we're doing all right. For example, with our new home, we really struggled finding wood floors that we found to be truly eco-friendly. In this case, we were able to find a company called Goodwin. It's a small company. And what they do is they have not just building recovered and building reclaimed materials, but they have river recover materials. So basically like trees that have fallen into rivers and have been there and preserved for a hundred years, they have an ethical, very legal and stringent way of going about retrieving that wood and then turning that wood into floors. So not only is it sustainably sourced, but it was also local. So I really think it can be material and sourcing at the same time in certain circumstances. Mm. But then also, you know, looking for things like Lower no VOC paints. You know, I really love lime paint, Tadelakt. Those are natural materials. They don't off gas like traditional paints do, mm-hmm. um, or they're more traditional. I really need to work on my vernacular, right? We've been like reconditioned, and you know, energy efficient windows, energy efficient coverings, skylights for daylighting. As long as you have covers and ways to make those mm-hmm. to conserve energy with them, and then low flow fixtures if possible. I saw that there's one company that is making uh, faucets that you have to step on a pedal in order to make them work. And it saves up to like 40 something percent of the water that you use because you have to be really mindful and engaged with the water. Yeah. And then also furnishings where there aren't a million little pieces at the joints and there aren't tons of little bags of plastic and hardware, like modular pieces where there is no hardware involved and they can ship flat. And so I think, you know, secondhand is really great and preferable when possible, but sometimes Especially with building materials, you have to meet certain codes depending on where you are. Especially like we're in Florida; like there are crazy storms here. You have to meet certain building codes. So it's how do you meet those codes and buy as responsibly as possible when sourcing these materials? And so there's just never-ending resources online, but just be wary of savvy marketing. That's what I want to say. To you.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. We'll be back with more from Whitney Lee Morris after the break. Welcome back to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm your host, Melanie Berlier, and today I'm speaking with Whitney Lee Morris. Now, your greenhouse office is truly spectacular. I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners a bit about the principle of biophilic design.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, the principle behind that is surrounding yourself and immersing yourself in nature, right? This is what we're meant to do. It's sad that it's something that we have to quote unquote go back to. It's really something that's intrinsic in all of us. We are nature, you know, like this is part of us. So we have this 114 square foot greenhouse. I do work from our home, as I mentioned before, but initially when we built it, we were in the process of building our cottage and we found out very quickly that it was going to take significantly longer than we were told, as is the story with every building and renovation project in the history of the world. And so I knew that I needed an office, And not just an office, but a little retreat that I could go to that felt like home for me. And I'm so much more creative and inspired in small spaces. I'm so much happier in small spaces. I'm reminded of what is important in my life in small spaces. And so what better way for me to immerse myself in nature, but also deal with the realities of weather in the southeast of the United States, where it's a lot of rain, a lot of mosquitoes, it's a lot of humidity, and make sure my devices are protected what better way than to build a little greenhouse? It was really a retreat for us for two years as we waited for this house to be built. Because not only was it my office, it's where my little one came to play. It's where our baby sat with me while I was nursing her and working. It's where we, of course, started to growing seeds that we then transplanted into our yard. So that space multitasked and continues to multitask. And I just, I'm so obsessed with that. I love it. so.
1: I love it so much. <laughs> I mean, I get it. And by the way, I'm halfway through a renovation as well, so I fully appreciate the home reno math is it always takes 10 times as long and costs 10 times as much as you initially think.
0: <laughs> right. And that has changed in recent years, too, right? All the sayings that people had, oh, it'll take longer, it'll cost X amount of dollars. I th- it It is just amplified recently. So my heart is with you. <laughs>
1: yeah. And to that point, I noticed that you really emphasize unhurried restoration, which really resonated with me. In a recent post, I even noticed that you captioned the after photos with the caveat that the after is still very much a work in progress and that things will continue to evolve. I loved that. That really, really resonated with me. I'm wondering if you can speak more to what unhurried restoration means to you.
0: It's multiple things. First off, Most people don't have unlimited budgets, right? And I think that it's so important, especially for folks who are very face forward in the design community to talk about that because it seems like money is just pouring from the sky for some people and then it's just not landing on anyone else. And I feel that a lot, even though I'm forward facing. So I really want to talk about it because lots of times people expect things to happen overnight because that's what they see online. And so in this project that you're referring to, it's an 1800s, under 800 square foot farmhouse in the south of France and our friends and my family and I are restoring it with our wonderful team of two a couple in the region
1: how does that happen by the way how do you come to be co-stewards of a tiny french farmhouse from the 1800s
0: <laughs> so so it's funny so i first and foremost i just want to address it off the bat because although people haven't given me a hard time about it it's something that i struggle with with sustainability we have this place we are co-stewards of this home in southern france And there is a massive carbon toll when it comes to airfare going back and forth. And there's just no way of getting around that. So I just want to address that from the onset because no one is perfect. We can all try. So one of the reasons that we recently moved from California to the southeast of the United States is we wanted to be closer to family, but we also needed to be closer to France so that we were reducing the amount of miles that we had to fly. And also reducing the number of trips then that we have to take to visit family. So now we can be near family and not have to make those trips and then consolidate to go to France. And I don't mean to say it in a defensive way. I really mean to say it in a way that just illustrates that like there's just so many ways to go about trying to be a better steward of the earth. Yeah. So anyway, I have been living part time and working in this region of France since I was in my early 20s and I'm now in my early 40s. I fell in love with it. It is a tiny, tiny town, a tiny region. It's an agricultural region. It is just stunningly beautiful. And so I always knew that I wanted a place there. And my friends over the years joined me in that region for vacation, for their own work. They got involved in the community in their own ways until we realized, hey, you know, why don't we save the money that we're spending on places and get something of our own that we love? But there were a lot of boxes to check. We wanted something with X amount of land. We wanted something with room to grow we wanted something that was original and design-wise really appropriate for that region. And we finally found something. And we pooled our money and we bought it together. And it's got this tiny little house. Like I said, it's under 800 square feet. There are nine of us. Wow. Wow. There are nine of us. Four of them are young children. Okay. But there are nine of us. It's two couples and then one individual. We've known each other forever, so that's another thing. Like I know that people can go into co trip in a number of ways, mm-hmm. but even amongst the best friends in the world, you know, we have arrangements in place because disagreements will happen and whatnot. But these are our best friends, literally people who were in the room when I gave birth to my child. But yeah, I mean, it's this beautiful home, and we don't want to change. You know, we love it for what it is, but it needs restoration work because it's from the 1800s. There's a big open barn that right now is being used for nothing. That over time we would like to evolve that into some sort of space that we can all share Mm -hmm. but unhurried really it's just like what works for us without taking the joy out of the project right so we will take time to be able to source things locally source things secondhand use things that were probably used in the original iteration of this home and slowly as it works for our lives and our budget's We'll get it together the way we want. This is like my retirement project.
1: (laughs) Over time. Over time. I love that so much. I mean, I'm definitely adopting that principle, unhurried restoration. And for me, what I noticed is, you know, my daughter is five years old and she couldn't care less what my space looks like. Yeah. You were talking about the pressure we put on ourselves for our homes to be perfectly aesthetic, but our children don't care. They just want to exist and play. And seeing the space through her eyes has really helped me sort of slow down And realize that it's okay if we don't remake our 1980s kitchen for another five years. Who really cares? It's functional. So, yeah, I'm really into that. And you'll be so happy when you finally do get to do it. (laughs) I will say when you slow down, everything becomes that much more rewarding, right? Like the smallest little changes to your half-done bathroom or kitchen or living area start to feel more rewarding when you're moving at a slower, more manageable pace, at least from my experience. What are some of the most important smart home tips that can lead to more sustainable living? It depends if you're
0: building. It depends if you're renovating, if you're just making do with what you got. But I think that, of course, a huge toll on the energy grid is, you know, the energy use in our homes. So I think it's not only being more considerate with the materials that you build with or design with, but also just how you use them. So say you don't have the budget to get energy efficient windows. Can you be more energy efficient in other ways within your home or can you invest in energy efficient window coverings that will help reduce your cost over time and reduce the toll of operating your household Can you wash your clothes with cold water instead of hot water? How can you better go about using the things within your home? Can you rely on daylighting? Can you rely on maybe adding a couple mirrors in your space to brighten up your space naturally, bounce some sunlight around rather than having a certain light on all the time? And maybe the answer is no, but it might be yes. And that can help if maybe you can't replace your front door. Can you maybe get a test to see what your insulation is like and see if perhaps by adding some strips around your door, you can make it a more efficient wall that doesn't lose heat and cooling. It just really depends on what stage people are tackling it from, but certainly there's just a myriad of ways to go about being friendlier in your home to the earth.
1: I love that idea about the mirrors being used to brighten a space, and simultaneously, they'll enlarge a space automatically. I believe you've also trained your family to take super quick showers. Can you tell me how you do that? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, we're not like we're not militant about it. I mean, and, and it helps. There's no timer.
0: There's no there's no little timer that we turn over. But you mentioned you have your five year old. I have a six year old. He has very long hair. He does not like to wash his hair. So. You know, it helps to have a little one who doesn't enjoy the process in the first place that'll get them out of there. But, you know, it's really just applying the same principles that we hopefully do when we brush our teeth, right? I mean, everyone's water heater situation is different, so it might not work for some people. But, like, it might work for you if you get in, you put in your shampoo, and then you turn off the water for a second. If you're someone who chooses to shave parts of your body, put on the soap, turn off the water, and shave until you have to rinse your razor. I think it's really just these very basic one-on-one things that actually can save a lot of water, for example, because we are a one-bathroom household, I put a sink with all these reclaimed materials in the corner of our main bedroom. And that sink, instead of draining down to the septic, just drains straight out because I only am using natural soap so I can have a gray water system on there. I can trap water and then use it on our house plants. you know. So there are just so many ways that you can save water and be more efficient in your just everyday practices. The fast shower thing is, it's funny, it's not for everybody. And it doesn't happen all the time. We live in Florida. It gets really hot. Sometimes you just need to take a longer shower. But also by not turning it up too, 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 too hot, if it's cold and it's kind of unpleasant sometimes, that'll speed you up too, won't it?
1: For sure.
0: (laughs) I don't want to take the joy out of it, but it's just when something becomes practice and you stop thinking about it after a while, you know, four-minute showers can be enough.
1: Right. You did note in a recent post that even you sometimes experience the urge to buy more appliances or carve out more space for things. And I'm wondering if you have advice on managing those space hunger moments. Space hunger moments. It's a great way of putting it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, whether we mean to or not, we just consume so many visuals of other people's lives right now. Right. And so many of those are tailored to make us buy things. So I really think it sounds so cheesy, but it's so true putting the phone down or closing your computer or putting the magazine down for a second and stopping and really thinking about what you need, what your family or your household, what you need, what you use, what really brings you joy in a practice. Like tea and coffee making is super sacred to some people. Like that's a real sacred practice. So like, yeah, honor that. Do it. You know, like our homes are meant to be lived in are safe places, hopefully, you know. But some things I think that we kind of dream into our lives just because they're Put up on a platter in front of our eyeballs, and they maybe don't actually really apply to us or how we live our lives. And so, really, I think it's just disengaging for a second, checking in with yourself, always sitting on it, always sitting on it. Because I don't know about you, but one of the things that I make myself do if I'm online shopping, I will only go in deliberately with something that I need, but I will put something in the shopping cart and then I will wait. And the longer I can wait, the better. Can I wait 24 hours? Can I wait 48 hours? The answer is almost always yes, unless it's somebody's health. Come on, like, we're fine. And then you go back and you look at that shopping cart and you're like, I didn't need any of this. I'm so glad I didn't buy this. I didn't need any of this. Because also some people are like, oh, well, I'll just return it. Lots of times people don't return things and then they end up paying for it and having clutter anyway and resources have been wasted in every sense of the word. Or if you do return it, lots of times a retailer won't resell it. And so there's just so much waste involved. I think it's really just checking in with yourself. If you really stop and think about what you love and what brings you joy and what functions well for you and your household then hopefully you're buying pieces not because you've been seeing them and you're used to them and recent trends and you want to be on trend. Instead, you're buying it for you and hopefully that piece will then last you for 20, 30, 40 years. It'll last a lifetime.
1: Mm -hmm. And these are your words, but in most cases, I think it's true that you don't need more space. You need less stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, stop for a second and acknowledge what a privileged thing that is to be able to say when there's so many people who are living without. And so that's one of the things it's like, You know, if we're living with less stuff, if we're spending our resources more responsibly, then do we have some left over to reallocate to causes, folks who actually need it or for us in the future? You know, whatever the case may be, most of the time we don't need as much stuff and then we can really shuffle our resources and use them for better things.
1: Is there a small space living mistake you see people making? You know, I think that the rules
0: of like do this and don't do this in a small space can be really trapping and stifle creativity. I really think it's just maybe listening to what everybody else says rather than actually closing your eyes and figuring out what you need for your own space. So I think a lot of times people will like measure for something or they'll say, oh, I read in this magazine that the rug needs to go here underneath the legs. It can't go in front of the legs. And then they'll buy things because they think that that's the way you need to do it as opposed to like, oh, actually, if I put the rug here i can't open the door over the rug and so i really think it's allotting space for navigation in life not just measuring for what you can fit or what some resource tells you you should be doing for example like i have this drop down desk in what is basically our hallway between our living room and our dining room of course like i said it's all a million different uses in a million different rooms But, you know, if I just designed for a desk that could fit there, I would have ended up with a much bigger desk that then narrows that thoroughfare, which makes it impossible to walk through with two really rambunctious kids and two beagles who are losing their minds and like running all around the house. So, you know, it was really just, okay. if it's folded up, how much space do I have? If it's folded down, how much space do I have? Not just taking that item into account, but taking how you operate and navigate around that item into account spend some time in there figure out what you need and design for that and the navigation around it as well
1: can you tell us what a pop-up play space is and how you execute it
0: yeah so we do pop-up spaces of all kinds because it's just so much fun but for kids right one of the issues is that we think that kids always need new things because they get so excited by it right and we want to make them happy so the idea of just kind of shoving new things into their face and watching them smile makes us happy right but like that is not sustainable for the planet it's not good for the kids ultimately So what is another way to present them with something that feels new, that actually is just cleverly repurposed from around your house and creating pop-up zones? You know what I mean? So what I like to do is take toys or books or things that they haven't used for a while, kind of tuck them out of the way. And then after a couple of weeks, find some creative way to re-present them to the kids in a new environment. So literally, it could be creating a fort Or, you know, most recently, I think what you're referring to is like we put a little secondhand table into the kitchen and put a bunch of kitchen supplies on it. And our two-year-old just had a grand old time, quote unquote, cooking and then like bird watching and like (laughs) doing all sorts of things, you know, or clearing off part of the couch and making it into a farmer's market stand. It takes a little bit of patience and it takes a little bit of time. And I understand that not everybody has that because there's a really crazy work ethic that we have to keep up with and we all have to make money. And it's a really demanding Society in which to live. But if we can spare some time to make something beautiful and creative and fun for our kids, we don't actually need to go out and buy some. Just think about the time that you're saving by not having to get into the car and go buy something (laughs) and the money that you're saving. Right. And you can create something really lovely for your kids. And it always helps to have furniture that is on wheels, things that fold, things like I said before Mm. that nest. They're just some kind of tried and true small space things. Those little hacks or those little design features can really go a long way in a small space.
1: Right. What's the first thing you notice when you enter someone else's home?
0: Well, are they comfortable? I mean, are they happy? <laughs> like, How are they feeling about their home? Because one of the things I noticed for a long time is if you go into someone's house and it has any signs of being lived in or if it is small, people kind of apologize for it. Oh. And I always just want to be like, hey, this is great. You're doing great. Like you can have signs of life. I would be sad if you didn't do laundry. Right. <laughs> like, I think it's really just, you know are people living in these homes are people comfortable in these homes but also i really do notice light mm. okay like if there is like a very bright fluorescent light there we go is there aggressive lighting right to each their own but for me personally lighting is just such a big thing mm-hmm. i really appreciate a good a mindfully set up lighting scheme in a home, personally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do love a home with plants. Oh, yeah. You know, Hilton Carter is one of my favorite humans on the planet, but also accounts to follow online because, boy, does the man know how to decorate with plants.
1: Yes, he knows how to live with plants. Yes. For sure. And like we
0: discussed before, that mirroring of indoor-outdoor life. Plants are a little messy and they grow in different ways and they're a little unruly. And I also love that with something like Plants, your home can continue to look a different way if you want to shake things up a bit, but you don't actually have to buy anything new. You can propagate. You can reposition. They themselves grow and change. And I think it's just a great reminder that you can make something beautiful without going and spending all the time.
1: So true. So I'd love to wrap up with a fun little round of word association. Oh, gosh. OK. I'll just feed you a word and you reply with whatever comes to mind instantaneously. I'm not good under pressure. OK. <laughs> OK. Design.
0: The first thing that came to mind was color, which is interesting because I'm pretty monochromatic. But color.
1: Interesting. I don't know why. I like that. Environment.
0: Mm, um, not nah, navigation, actually. Navigation, because it's not just the earth, right? It's your environment, it's your place. Like how do you move in a space? How do you feel in a space? Happiness. My
1: kids. Kids. Kids.
0: Home. Safety work. Inspiration.
1: Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Whitney. This has been so wonderful. I have learned a lot. I think our listeners are going to learn a lot. You are fantastic.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so grateful to be here and to get to meet you. So thank you, Melanie.
1: Listening to the Better Buy from Better Homes and Gardens. Be sure to follow the Better Buy on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. We'd love your feedback, so please rate this podcast and leave us a review. You can also find us online at bhg.com/slash the better buy podcast. And make sure to come back next week for more. Here's a preview.
0: Hi, I'm Stephen Orr. I'm the editor-in-chief of Better Homes and Gardens. And I also have renovated a few old houses, which I said I was never going to do again, but here I am.
1: I'll see you then.